Right now, we want to open up our Bibles, please, to the book of Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. I'm going to be reading verses 6 through 10 here tonight. So let's go ahead and pray and ask for the blessing of God's word here this evening. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray, Lord God, that you would bless the reading of your word here this evening. I thank you, God, for those that are here, for all of the servants that are here helping and volunteering and supporting the ministry uh, to the church and to the community uh, here tonight, Lord God. And now we pray that you would bless this part of the service. We enjoyed the praise. We enjoyed the worship. And, Lord God, we even enjoy the prayer time that we had. And, Lord God, we also want to pray for the offerings that we're receiving, Lord God. It's a little awkward right now because we can't pass out the uh, offering bags, but we pray for all the offerings, Lord God, however it is that we get them into the church. We pray that you will help us to continue to be faithful to the responsibilities of our tithes and offerings, that we can meet our financial responsibilities here at the church in these very difficult times, Lord. And pray for we pray for those families that are struggling financially right now because of health or because of work situations, Lord. Bless and encourage and help them, and I pray that we can all help each other during these hard times. So bless your word now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, let me go ahead and read this section of Scripture. This is Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10, and the Bible says this. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse, as we have already said. So now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the, re the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So a couple of weeks ago, we looked at verses 6 through 9, and we saw that the Apostle Paul is warning us not to allow ourselves to be deceived or to deviate away from the simplicity of the gospel. We have to remember what the Bible teaches about who Christ is. The Bible is all about Jesus, about who he is. He is the first and he is the last. He is the beginning and he is the end. It, Jesus Christ was conceived of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary. Jesus Christ lived a pure and sinless life. Jesus Christ was tortured and humiliated and humbled and he suffered injustice and was crucified on the cross. Jesus Christ gave his body and blood on the cross and died for the sins of the world. And on the third day, Jesus Christ rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven and he is seated at the right hand of the Father right now. And he said that he is coming back again for his church. Church, do you believe that Jesus Christ is coming back soon? Can you say amen? That's what he declared and that's what he's going to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 through 4 says this. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word, I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ 
died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. That is the gospel right there in verse 3 and 4, that he was, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. The apostle Paul tells us, to turn away from anyone that tries to teach you anything that deviates from this truth. And the Apostle Paul tells us that even if an angel from heaven appears to tell us something that deviates from the truth, we are to ignore that angel. He is deceiving us. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 through 4 says this, I hope you will put up with me in a little foolishness. Yes, please put up with me. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promise you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. Verse 13, for such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness, their end will be what their actions deserve. So it is possible for people to be deceived even by the devil himself because the Bible says he can appear to us as an angel of light, but it's really demonic. We learned that the Mormon church began because Joseph Smith had a vision of an angel. This angel told him to write the book of Mormon. This is a violation of God's holy word because God specifically tells us not to add anything to God's holy word. We have the complete gospel right here, church. We do not need another book. We do not need other scriptures. We do not need other other uh, other uh, commentaries. All we need is this book right here. Can you say amen, church? We looked at the uh, Muslim faith, and we learned that the Muslim faith started because Muhammad saw a vision of what he believed was the angel Gabriel, and the angel told him to write the Quran. This, again, is a violation of God's holy word because they added to the Bible. Why is everyone trying to add to the Bible? We have all that we need right here. We looked at the Jehovah's Witnesses and how they began and they added words or changed words in the Bible in order to support their false doctrine and their denial of the divinity of Jesus Christ. These all deny that Christ is God manifested in the flesh. That's what makes them so dangerous. They say Jesus. They speak Jesus. They even tell you that they believe in Jesus, but he is not the Lord. He is not the Christ. He is not the Savior. He is not God. All these are considered cults and false religions. And the Apostle Paul is stressing the importance of protecting the integrity of the message of the gospel. The Apostle Paul is being direct and letting all of us know that we are to reject anyone that attempts to alter the truth and the simplicity of the gospel, and he even calls them cursed. Listen, 
When we stand up against false doctrine and false teaching or false teachers, the sad reality is that we will face hostility. We will have to maybe go through contentions. And that leads us to the next section of Scripture. Listen, the Apostle Paul, who was the one that started the churches in Galatia, he saw that these people were trying to infiltrate the church. I hope with all my heart that if a Mormon came in here, I mean, let's try to understand what was happening in Galatia. It was as if a Mormon were trying to go inside the church in Galatia and trying to tell them that the Book of Mormon was an additional scripture or truth to the, the gospel that they already had. Or that a Muslim was going into their churches and trying to teach them about Muhammad and Allah and everything else in the Quran. I hope with all my heart, that if somebody tried to come in here and do that in our church, that we would put a stop to it. Can you say amen, church? Because that's what the Apostle Paul had to do. I had asked uh, Daniel if um, I could share this. Now, it's going to be very, very rare if a Muslim or a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon or a Baha'i or a Hindu or a Buddhist would come into our church and try to change anybody's mind in our church about who Jesus Christ is. But how many of you know some of these people do go door to door, knocking on our doors, trying to convince you that their way or their doctrine or their truth or their Book of Mormon is the truth? How many of you understand that? They'll try to invade your house. And I always enjoy... Uh, when we would have our men's Bible studies, right now they're postponed because uh, Mel and Roy are taking some time off uh, due to the COVID restrictions. But I would always look forward to Daniel coming, uh, Daniel Corral coming to our men's Bible studies because it seemed like every single week, for whatever reason, all these people that the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, uh, all these people would go to his house and they would want to debate with him and try to convert him. And I would always look forward to him coming to the men's Bible studies on Thursdays because it was like a little soap opera. He would tell me, hey, guess what? The Seventh-day Adventist came into my door, and he started telling me about his doctrine. And then the, the Seventh-day Adventist would say uh, something, and then I would tell him, hey, that's not in the Bible. What are you talking about? Or a Mormon would come and say something, and Daniel would say, that's not in the Bible. What are you talking about? Or a Jehovah's Witness would come to his door and say something, and he would say, that's not in the Bible. And you know what? Because he knew his Bible. Because he knew his Bible, he was able to confront them and stand up to them and even correct them. The reason why these cults are so effective is because they go to people's homes or they'll stop you at a bus stop and they'll start talking to you about Jesus or about the Bible. And a lot of people don't know about the Bible, don't know their scriptures, don't know a lot of, don't have a lot of teaching. And those guys are so convincing that what they say will sound like it's the truth, but it's really a lie. And the only way that you can confront a lie is what? With the truth. The truth will set you free, make you free. If you don't know the truth, then you won't be able to recognize when someone's trying to lie to you. Is everyone understanding what I'm saying? Can you say amen? That's why we have to be at church. That's why you have to hear the word of God. In your spare time, you need to read the word of God. You need to study the word of God. I thank God for the, uh, again, the young adults that are getting together on their own because they're hungry. They're, they desire, they want more knowledge. They're getting together on their own on Thursday nights, why? Because they want to learn the Bible more and better, and they want to study it, and they want to equip themselves, and they want to prepare themselves, and they want to be able to defend themselves against those that would try to deceive them 
away from the true and living God who is Jesus Christ. Does everyone understand what I'm saying? Can you say amen, church? So in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, because Paul, the Apostle Paul had to confront these false teachers and he was encouraging the leaders to confront these false teachers and he is encouraging you and I to confront these false teachers. He says this in verse 10, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So when it comes to defending the gospel, when it comes to confronting lies and deceptions and corrupt teaching, when it comes to speaking truth in the face of those who are lying and compromising the gospel, we have to make a decision within our own hearts. Do we want to gain the approval of man or do we want to gain the approval of God? If we want to walk in the approval of God, are we willing to even lose friendships and important relationships for that cause? Here is a challenging reality about the gospel. Is everyone listening to me? Can you say amen? Here's a challenging reality about the gospel. The gospel is offensive. The gospel cuts. The gospel confronts. The gospel reveals truth. The gospel exposes motives. The gospel means that God gets in your face and he says to you, you are not living right. You need to make some adjustments in your life and you need to make a a decision whether or not you're going to believe what this book says or if you're going to do your own thing. That's what the gospel does. It confronts us. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. When a person is caught up in false teaching and you confront them about that, they get very defensive. When a person is in sin, especially deep and habitual sin and bondage, and you confront them with the gospel, guess what? They're going to get very defensive. For example, of how the gospel can offend. If you are a couple, and you are living together, and you are not married, and then I quote a scripture from the Bible, for example, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, and it says this, Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. This is going to be offensive to that couple that's living together and not married. Did you hear what I just said? Now, it's going to offend them. They're not going to like it. It's going to make them feel uncomfortable. And that's good. Why? Because we don't want them to end up in hell. Why? Because the Bible says very clearly that fornicators will not make it to heaven. Fornication is a very serious sin. Is everyone listening to what I'm saying here, church? And it's better to confront them, and if they want to get mad, let them get mad. But at least they can say that somebody didn't love them enough to care for them and to confront them with that. This is going to be offensive. The goal, of course, is that they would be convicted of their sin and that they would want to repent and honor Christ and His Word and either get married or separate, but not remain in their sin. So if you're here tonight 
and you are a couple and you are not married and you're living together, shame on you. You need to get right with God. You need to repent. If you're listening to me online and you're living together and you're not married, you need to get right because that's a serious violation of God's law. Now, if you have a friend who is a Mormon of the Mormon faith, and he or she is trying to speak to you about the Book of Mormon, and in response you quote Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, and you say to them, Now Israel, hear the decrees and laws I am about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. And then in verse 2 it says, Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it. But keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. And you tell them, hey, you know what? You, this may be your coworker. This may be your boss. This could be a relative. And you tell them gently with love and with a sincere heart of concern that the Book of Mormon is a violation of the Word of God because it's in addition to the Word of God. Listen, it's going to be offensive. Did you hear what I just said? It's going to offend them. Even if you say it nicely, even if you say it respectfully, even if you say it with, 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 with gentleness and love, it's still going to be offensive. The goal, of course, is that they would repent and turn from following a religion that sadly we consider to be a cult and a faith that preaches a false understanding of who Jesus Christ is. Now, an example in the Bible of someone who feared God more than man is John the Baptist. How many of you have heard of John the Baptist? He feared God more than man. Listen to what it says here in Matthew chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. It says this. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports about Jesus. And he said to his attendants, This is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead. That is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. What was happening here? John the Baptist confronted the king of Israel, the king of Israel who was Herod. And he confronted the king of Israel, who was Herod, because the king of Israel, who was Herod, got married to his brother's wife. And John the Baptist said, dude, what you are doing is wrong. It is against the law of God. It is against the word of God. It is sin. You need to repent. You need to get out of that relationship. You need to let her go back to her. What's wrong with you? John the Baptist was not afraid to confront Herod, even though he was the king of Israel. And he ended up going to prison for it. Sadly, Herod and Herodias, the woman that he ended up being with, they could have repented, but instead they made matters even worse by killing John the Baptist. In Matthew chapter 14, verses 6 through 12, it says this, On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guest and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guest, he ordered that her request be granted and had John beheaded in the prison. 
His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. This is a horrible, sad thing. Herod and Herodias, his brother's wife, they could have repented. They could have asked God to forgive them. They could have made things right. But instead, they made things worse by taking John the Baptist and killing him. There's another example in the Bible. The same thing happened to Stephen. He chose to fear God more than men. And sadly, he too was put to death for it. In Acts chapter 7, verses 48 through 60, listen to what it says here. This is Stephen speaking, and he says this. If you read all, uh, all of chapter 7, all the way up to 48, he's doing a, a, a powerful preaching, a powerful sermon. And this is the end of it. And it says here in verse 48, However, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Listen, if you're listening to me right now, don't resist the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart and trying to correct something in your life, it could be an attitude, it could be a behavior, it could be a relationship, don't resist the Holy Spirit. It says here again in verse 51, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Verse 52. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Listen, as you hear the word of God, and if the word of God begins to confront something that is going on in your life, and the Holy Spirit is telling you not to resist, but to submit to the Lord and to repent and to get things right, I encourage you, don't get mad. Don't get angry. Don't start getting all upset with me, the preacher, for telling you what's going on or what the Bible says. No, just humble yourself. Get it right. Some of you may be getting upset right now. Those of you that are listening right now that are living together and not married, maybe I offended you. That's okay. Do something about it. Don't kill the, pe- the preacher. Submit to God. Get married. If you have kids, get married. Go get yourself a marriage license and just get married. Become a family. Be blessed. Receive the blessings of God. What's wrong with that? Why don't you want to be blessed? Instead of cursed. You're always struggling, having a hard time, not wondering why things don't work out the way they should, why you're never getting ahead. Get the favor of God in your life. Get the blessing of God in your life. Start doing things right. Don't get mad. Don't get mad. 
just get right with God. And then you have an example of those who heard the word of God and instead of getting defensive or angry, like some of you may be getting right now, they humbled themselves and repented. For example, the citizens of the city of Nineveh. Listen to what it says here in Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. In Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, listen to what it says. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed. That means they went without food. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warnings reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is a proclamation he issued to Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that he will not perish so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Can you believe that? Jonah went in there. He started preaching the word of God. He started telling them, dude, if you don't get yourself right, God's going to destroy the city. And you know what? They listened. They listened to God. The Bible says they repented before God. They even fasted before God. They cried out to God. They asked for forgiveness of God. That means all those that were unmarried, they got married or they separated. All those that were committing adultery, they repented of that. All those that were stealing or doing drugs, they repented of that. They closed all the bars. They closed all the drug connection houses. They, they, uh, all the homosexuals, they got straightened out and they, and they left that behavior. Everyone that was wrapped up in any kind of sin, they repented. They got themselves right. They cried out to God. And you know what? God blessed them for that. God blessed them for that. Another example of repenting at the word of God is King David. In the book of 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. Many of you are familiar with this section of scripture. 2 Samuel chapter 12. Give me some time to get there. Listen to what it says here. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. It says this. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had, brought, he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep 
or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Try to imagine being in David's place. And Nathan the prophet is confronting him to his face and saying, David, you're telling me that this guy that I just talked to you about, he deserves to die. What he did was totally wrong. It was out of line. It was out of order. Well, guess what, David? You're the man. You're the one that's guilty. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. And here's the key, church, in verse 13. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. You see, after being confronted, after being uh, treated like that by Nathan, David could have got mad. David could have got an attitude. David could have got proud. David could have got defensive. But no, no, no. David humbled himself. He accepted the rebuke. He took responsibility for the rebuke. And he said, man, Lord, I'm guilty. I have sinned. I am so sorry. God, please forgive me. No excuses. No rationalization. No explanation. I did what I did. It was wrong. I was out of line. I deserve to die. Please forgive me. God chose to have mercy on him, church. He didn't die. He should have died. Those sins in the Old Testament, if you caught caught doing those things, murder, adultery, dude, they would have killed you. But God chose to spare his life. Now he paid a heavy price. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because by doing this you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, the son born to you will die. The sad reality is, church, there's always consequences to sin. We may have forgiveness we may have grace, we may have compassion, and we may be able to go forward. But you know what? We do leave a trail of problems and circumstances at times because of our sin. Thank God he spares our life. Can you say amen, church? And he's merciful. Our responsibility is to repent. For me, funerals are some of the most difficult services because I have to let people know about heaven and hell. 
And I have to have the courage to tell them the truth, even though they're already hurting because their loved one is, has passed away, even though they're already broken and sad and discouraged because they just lost someone that they loved. But I have to deal with the reality of telling them, hey, we're all going to die. And we're all going to have to give an account of our lives, of how we lived. There is a heaven and there is a hell. And there's a price to pay when we refuse to acknowledge God. Let me just share with you a few scriptures and then we're going to go ahead and close. Listen to these scriptures that warn us about fearing man more than God. It says this in Proverbs, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 17. Listen to this. Deuteronomy 1 17 it says, Do not show partiality in judging. Hear both small and great alike. Do not be afraid of anyone. For judgment belongs to God. Bring me any case too hard for you, and I will hear it. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25. Listen to this. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. We have to have the courage to be able to tell people to their face when they're wrong, when they're breaking the laws of God, when they're being rebellious, when they're not doing what is right before God. Did you hear what I just said, church? We have to have the courage to do that, even if it means that that person is going to get upset, they're going to get angry, they're going to turn their backs on you, they're going to backbite you, they may even try to hurt you, they may get defensive and talk, talk all kinds of smack, but you know what? You do what God tells you to do, you speak what God tells you to speak, and guess what? God's going to back you up. God will back you up. Listen to what it says in Isaiah chapter 51, verse 12. I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you fear mere mortals, human beings who are but grass? You know what? In the end, we're all just people. We're all just people. No one's better than anybody else. And if God is with us, no one's more powerful than anybody else. We all have the Lord. We're all striving to do what's right. We're all wanting to obey the Lord and honor Him in everything that we do. And it's our right and it's our responsibility that when we see something going on that is not right, we have to have the courage to fear God more than man and do what's right and speak the truth. Let's pray right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray right now, God, that you, Father, will just bless the reading of your word here tonight and that, Lord, you will help us to follow what it says, Lord God. We pray right now, God, that you will help us to have the courage to be obedient and to speak your word, even when we know it will offend, even when we know it's going to cut and hurt and, and cause stress and conflict. Lord God, help us to have the courage to trust you, to fear you, to honor you more than man. And once again, before we close, we want to give anyone that's here an opportunity to come to the Lord if they don't already have Jesus in their life. If you're here this morning, or this evening, I should say, and you are not a Christian, and you want to surrender your life to Jesus, just lift up your hand and we will pray. Anyone at all says, Jerry, I am not a Christian, but I want to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior right now. You may be watching on the internet right now, on the online services, and I just want to lead you in a prayer. Just say this prayer with me. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I have heard your word tonight. And Lord, some of the things that I heard 
I didn't like. But I know that they're the truth. So Lord, help me to begin to correct and to get things right and to get things in order in my life. Because Lord, I desire your blessing on my life. Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you tonight. Forgive me of all my sins. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you said that prayer, I want you to know God heard your prayer of repentance and God's there to help you, not to condemn you, but to help you. And I pray for your sake that you will follow His word. Don't deviate from it. In Jesus' name. God bless you. Have a great night. God bless you, church. Thank you for being here tonight. Amen. Hallelujah.